the conversations that you and I have had uh, recently since we've become acquainted, I, I get to the end of each of those calls or video calls, Aaron, I'm like, dang it, that should have been a episode of Level Up. Like that would have been great for other people to hear. So in a way, we're trying to kind of recreate a little bit of that magic, but I have really appreciated those conversations we've had together recently. Thank you. Yes, me too. I am on a mission to be as vulnerable as professionally possible Mm -hmm. with all the good and all the bad that my career has afforded me because that's the only way we learn. And you giving me the opportunity to do that and the safety of the lack of judgment and how powerful those learning lessons are. And then your conversations back to me Mm -hmm. based on those um, comments and truths Mm -hmm. just builds confidence. And I feel as if the more we can show this type of collaboration the more that we can show people there's power in talking about the hard stuff there's power in learning from the hard stuff and if we sit in silence too much with that hard stuff we become hard yeah which i did i did yeah i became very stoic on a non-family outside the community way mm-hmm. towards the the corporate office so to speak i became a hard shell to crack in that way because i sat in a lot of negativity for a long time and that's just not healthy it's something that we've quickly connected on together because there's a sincere empathy when you go through shared experiences that at the time you're experiencing them, maybe you feel like, well, I'm going to keep quiet. I'm probably the only one going through this. But then you realize as we have conversations like we have had and we are having now that there's the power in the validation of, okay, my experience was real. It's a real thing. And also that we're not, uh, we're not blaming other people where we're acknowledging what happened, where we're encouraging responsibility and accountability for things that happen, but that at the end of the day, we are becoming more self-aware and more self-conscious of our own behaviors and words and thoughts that like, we're going to create the reality. We're going to talk a little bit about stuff that happened, but that has no bearing now to how I'm going to act today. Correct. Yeah. Correct. The, the topic we came up with, there were so many different things we want to talk about, but it seemed like we didn't plan this episode thinking about, let's talk about this thing. We just had so many things that we were talking about. And what's the common theme here? And I think we landed on it that way about psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Yes. Know. I think um, psychological safety is important for us as leaders to give to our residents and our associates, but also it's important for us to have as leaders. Mm-hmm. It's the premise of this podcast. I talk about head and heart leaders, that head plus heart is the way to be effective in this industry. You have to have the acumen and the knowledge of the quote unquote hard skills. And those things may be finance or sales or property maintenance. There's the tangible, quantifiable things that we have to know as executive directors, business leaders. And then there's the quote unquote soft skills, which are all relationship based. And I think you and I have uh, probably seen enough times where this industry heavily, heavily anchors towards hard skills. 
and that a lot of the fracture maybe and trauma that happens from a employee perspective is all this stuff happening on the emotional relationship management side. So you ready to dig in? You're ready to dig in. Correct, James Lee. Where's that going? I'm ready to go. (laughs) Psychological safety, I think as a term, as a phrase, maybe not everybody has the same idea about what that is, but I'm going to take a stab at it. I'm not reading a definition here and somebody's Mm going to tell me that's not the correct definition, but if I'm explaining it to somebody, psychological psychological safety from a leadership perspective, um, I think it's the responsibility that leaders have to create an environment in your organization that people feel safe to win, lose, make mistakes, give contribution, um, but that they're not judged as people and that, that we need to create environments where people are free to be themselves right? Show up as their full selves and not be so guarded. If somebody were to ask you about psychological safety, how would you describe it to somebody? I would say an atmosphere where you can bring the hard stuff, Mm -hmm. the not so pretty stuff Mm -hmm. and talk about it without the retaliation Mm -hmm. or without the judgment that could bring retaliation. Yeah. So could I come to somebody and say, what happened two weeks ago has really left me feeling shattered and really insecure about where I stand in the company. And I need, I need to tell you what that was. And then for them to be able to understand and not continuously bring that up to you over and over and over again, which is a form of retaliation, right? It's a, it's a strong arm. It's, Let me show you that you shouldn't do that again. Mm -hmm. Or the ability to learn from mistakes. I, in my career, I was taught very early, unintentionally or unintentionally, I don't know, but you don't make mistakes because when you make mistakes, there are serious consequences. And shame became a management style for me. Like they managed me by shame. Well, someone like me, whose loyalty runs deep when it comes to the elderly people and a team atmosphere, when you are shamed or being managed by shame, you lose the ability for creativity, for innovation, for anything other than being a drill sergeant and what led to micromanaging. For me yeah. at a young age, I was promoted at 28, never been man, never managed anyone before. Never. I was in love with this company. I was going to, I just had this idealistic mindset that I was going to be the vice president. I was going to do all kinds of things. They paid for half my college. Like I was in, I was yeah. in and they invested a ton in me. And I met some key players in my career that I love and still am in contact with today. And then when I was promoted, those key players left the company. They were my safety. They made me feel that I could do anything. And I made some key mistakes as a sales director there Mm -hmm. in an interdynamic with the executive director. So they taught me 
you may be a passionate person, but we're going to have to be careful what we say here. Like, I didn't understand those types of things just yet. So when they left, there was this huge void. And so I had to make it on my own, which was very complicated. Yeah. And then a new regional person came in and he was completely different than anything I had ever been witness to. Yeah. And he used shame as a management style. And I just cowered. I cowered. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to react. There was not a safe place to talk about the way that I was feeling. I felt less than. It was an awful experience for me, even though all the company's metrics that I was being judged on were met and exceeded. It was never going to be enough. And his thumb was always going to be heavily over you, which was not the company that I knew and loved mm -hmm. um, and cherished, honestly. And so that was my first dealings with feeling unsafe inside the industry. And I, I didn't know how to manage that very well. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. How many people, if they felt the safety to do so, do you think would admit that I have felt harmed psychologically, emotionally within my organization? I mean, I'm, I don't know that we can put a number to it, but just what does your gut feeling say about how many people would resonate with your story and this conversation? They're like, yep, I'm raising my hand. I've, I've been in there. Oh, I would say at least on a conservative end, 50 to 75% of people. <laughs> yeah. Just Is based on the perspective that I'm gaining yeah. over the last six months, yeah. I would say it is more than I ever thought it was mm -hmm. because I never talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I think that COVID, this focus on employee turnover slash retention, I think you and I said it in, in a previous conversation that these things didn't create the problem, they revealed the problem. Right. Yeah. And this in particular, this topic of psychological safety, that it, it feels like an insult. At the very least, it's irony that this industry that brands itself around care doesn't care deeply enough about the people doing the frontline work. Right? Yes. And I can I, I, I want to take a moment to also think about and acknowledge that there are probably people. No, not probably. I'm going to take that word out. I'm, I'm certain that there are people. If they listened to me today, this podcast episode, the things I write about on LinkedIn, the things that I try to be and stand for now, they would listen to that episode and probably think, well, he's a hypocrite. They would probably think, well, that's, that's funny that he's talking about psychological safety. And I think this is the vulnerable parts of conversation that leaders don't have is that the bad qualities are always other people, not ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's the mm -hmm. only way that I think we can actually change is that we acknowledge our own behavior and we think about, well, what, what created those motivations for me to behave in that way? And then can I take ownership of that? And can I change that within myself? Because the chances are that that regional that you had now or had back then, do you think he's any better today? Probably not. I don't know. He's not. I know yeah. he's not. <laughs> yeah, he's not. But imagine, so we're not going to change people who are firmly like rooted and committed to that mindset, right? 
So the only real chance of change is for people like you and me to acknowledge, okay, these are some things that happened. What elements of that do I see within myself? And what is my responsibility to change that? Mm -hmm. Any any thoughts on that? Oh, no, that's so true. That has been the catalyst of my company, Aspire for More, because I have just recently learned all the other hardenings or failures, we'll say, where learning examples that I've had have all stemmed from old wounds that I defined this meaning of just I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. When a company says that they want 100% occupancy and that is the creme de la creme, you are going to be the queen when you get 100% occupancy. Mm-hmm. And I've done that multiple times in short, short order and created cultures of belonging. And it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't enough at pretty much every company that I worked in. Yeah. And so I became that sentence, I am not enough, generated for everything. Yeah. I learned how to celebrate with my team. You are enough. You are awesome. We are changing lives. And I celebrated big, celebrated small wins, celebrated big wins once I learned the science behind that. But no one really celebrated me, the leader and the executive yeah. director. I started my career out as a sales director. And if you've been around, that you you celebrate your sales director because mm-hmm. the sales director needs to be celebrated. They have the needs to be recognized. Well, I am a sales director at heart, really. And I needed... To, I needed to be celebrated. I needed somebody to say to me, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. To be consistent with that kind of mindset because my negative mindset was all consuming. And I waited. I looked for examples that I was important to people. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find them very often. Yeah, Even though... I was the second tenured executive director with the company, or I brought a community from 67% to 100% in a year and one month after COVID. And there was no, there was nothing. Right. Nothing. I didn't even get any flowers. Mm-hmm. And that was like the tail end of my career inside of a community because at that point, I lost connection. Yeah, because I didn't have any connection. I didn't have there was there was no connection. There was nothing that I needed was being fed, and I think I didn't feel safe. So therefore, I didn't try to connect. Yeah, it's heartbreaking to listen to your accounting of that. Also, relating my own experiences to that, but also at a deeper level, also thinking about. Are there times where I was the culprit of other people feeling that way? And I think it's these it's these moments where the, there, there are times in my professional past where I'm looking at, okay, well, why was I such a hard ass when it came to this? Or why did I hound people for that report? Or why did I push for these kind of things? And look, at the end of the day, I own my own words, my own behavior. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of the day, I was that person in those moments. 
I, I don't feel like I was that all the time, but I, but I can also acknowledge and recognize that it's the pressure cooker environment of it's hard to be led a specific way and then to just be expected to like transform that into a heart approach, right? If all you're getting is head, but then you're expected to be heart, it's hard to reconcile that as a person, right? So you, you kind of feel like you're shielding your team a little bit, but Hey, if they're using, like, for example, you, you just said something that made that, that kind of triggered me in a way. There was, there was one company that I worked with that said every move in is a life saved. Like we're saving lives. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I started using the same language too, of like, Hey guys, great job. We have five lives saved this month. And I just like looking back on it, I'm like, what? was I saying that I don't believe that I don't believe we're saviors of, of anything. Like w if you're serving people, you're not saving them. You're joining mm -hmm. their journey and you're, you're, you're invited to be a part of that. But I was saying things I was pushing things I was, I was forced into like these initiatives are our priorities. And there's just this intense pressure of being the good company, man, company, woman, in order for you to even be in a position to help other people, but you got to tote the line. You got to say the script. You got to wear the costume and you got to be the company person. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I like to refer to it as drinking the Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. And early on in my career, I was swimming, swimming yeah. in the Kool-Aid. Yeah. That first company that I worked for, I mean, I was swimming in it. I was devoting everything I had to it. It was yeah. everything to me. And then... It didn't work out the way that I thought it was going to work out. And for no real reason, it just didn't work out. And so then I went to another company and it was a great experience for me. It was a nonprofit. It was very different from what I was used to. And I learned how to read the regs, to do things. They gave me life skills that prepared me for the next phase of my personal life, which is when my first child was born. And then I... Some life things happened. And so then I was able to come back to work. I went back to work with a larger for-profit company. And at the beginning, I drank the Kool-Aid again. I wanted to be a part of the team. I wanted to be everything and more to prove myself. And we made some fast headway. And then the same thing started happening slowly. Yeah. And... I kind of became known as the non-Kool-Aid drinker, slowly but surely, because I, I wanted to change lives. I believed in excellence. I believed in changing people's lives for the better in a very valuable, vulnerable way, authentic way. And so I definitely towed a different line, and there was always a lot of friction in the mission way that I served my yeah. community and the business way that I struggled to find the balance with. Yeah. So, yes, drinking the Kool-Aid, towing the, the line, all those things, yes. Yeah, yeah, and it is, I think, and the value of maybe talking about it here and sharing this conversation, Aaron, is that maybe there are people kind of in the middle of that now where they are playing the role, right? They're mm -hmm. playing the character of a leader rather than becoming a leader. 
And I think that was a lot of it for me was growing up in systems where the, the carrot and stick was about respect. Like it was, I'm either going to give you respect or I'm going to withhold respect. That's the other side of shame is the shame is about, I'm either going to make you feel ashamed or I will withhold praise. And there was a scarcity mindset about respect and that it was all hoarded up at the top. And I, and I, and I especially found this to be true with companies that always espouse like deep culture. Everything was like culture, culture, culture. That was the word that they used over and over. And they talked about their values. And in fact, in some situations, they forced us like, okay, this week you were going to do at, at stand-up meeting, you were going to talk about this value, right? As like, company-wide, we're going to talk about this value. Let's all give an example of that value. And I think about like, these are all the artifacts of culture. These are the posters on the wall that are like, we believe we stand for this. So let's have everybody talk about it. But culture isn't what you say you're going to do. Culture is what you actually do. But can we aspire for more? There's a plug, right? Yeah. Can we aspire for more? What are your thoughts on that? I think that people coming into senior living who inherently know their worth Mm -hmm. struggle to fit into the type of setting that we're talking about. Mm. Yeah. Because they're going to reject being treated that they are their their worth is their outcomes. Right. They'll just say, no, thank you. They'll just say, no, thank you. And they will leave. And that wasn't me. (laughs) That was not me. I worked hard to prove my worth. I hustled for worthiness. I wanted their approval. Mm -hmm. And I have seen more. There are more people like that, like me, inside our industry than there are people who know their worth because Mm -hmm. it won't work. That type of management won't work with somebody who has zero question about their worthiness. Yeah. So I believe that if if you're listening and you're feeling fear, and you're staying silent in meetings, in group meetings, or that some things don't work in your community and you don't and you're silent because you're scared of the, the repercussions, the pushbacks, it's because you're feeling unworthy. I say this a lot. I was either in the meeting real big, you're gonna know who I am because this is what I've done. Let me tell you what I've done, or I'm good, I'm gonna be really silent and When I was really silent, I was really feeling unworthy. I know that now. Mm -hmm. I wasn't being disrespectful. I wasn't being anything other than insecure and feeling, what does it matter when I say? Because you're not going to listen to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But on the other side of that, when you're inside of the community, you get so much love and validation that it is a very interesting mind game that ensues. I lived in turmoil for a very long time because people who I gave everything to, which were my residents and my associates and their families, valued me in such a way that I could never walk away from them. I would never have the strength. My abandonment issues would never allow me to walk away from them, right? And so therefore I stayed. Because 
I valued my strength as how much can I take and still succeed. That was yeah. like the game that I played with myself, which is a very unhealthy game to play. A lot of us, a lot of us were put into that situation. And Aaron, you are, you are the quintessential example of somebody that I think about when I use the word passion handcuffs that, <laughs> yeah. right. We've talked about that a little bit, that our industry is not about the golden parachutes and the golden handcuffs. Although there are certainly people who are making way, 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 way more money commensurate in, or, or, or relative to members of their team. Um, but out, outside of that, passion handcuffs are exactly what you're talking about, which is I feel abused, unhealthy, less than, no worth, but I have to grin and bear it because I am serving our residents. And it also ties to what I believe. I, I don't think that most of our industry is consciously this way. They're, they're more oblivious to their patterns. Um, but I absolutely have seen the continued pattern of exploitative kind of leadership and exploitative hiring processes. So think about, think about this, Aaron. We interview, for the most part as an industry, we, when we interview for executive directors, uh, we have this saying, it's ubiquitous about you don't hire for skill. We can train that. We hire for heart, right? We mm -hmm. hire for attitude. We hire for whatever. We can't teach character. We can teach skill. But the code behind that, if you think about it, is like, hey, Aaron, tell me about sacrifice. Or one of our values is about excellence or not quitting. Like, can you tell me a little bit about that? And you're priming yourself that you have to be this person that's like, oh gosh, they talk about integrity all the time. And so in a way, they're almost, we're almost being gaslighted through value, right? Like, okay, <laughs> you're the value. Hey, you did not represent excellence today. So mm -hmm. uh, let's, let's, you're, you're not a good company person if you are not mm -hmm. exhibiting this behavior. And, and so I think that we as an industry have become too used to Understanding that caregivers, health and wellness directors, executive directors, and in my experience, even people kind of at regional and higher up levels, they believe that their contribution is the amount of abuse that they can take and keep moving forward, right? And, mm -hmm. or, and for the most part, the, the people who are in the position of power to benefit from this, they're not going to change the model, right? Mm -hmm. You can hire an executive director for... Sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars, depending on the market that you're in, and they're going to take care of the, one of the most complicated businesses that there is on earth, and they're going to go through just emotional turmoil. Even if you have a healthy boss and a company, the job itself is just incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. And then you layer on top of that, not having psychological safety, right? Having your question uh, or, or your value and worth questioned over and over again through numbers or through mm -hmm. value statements. I totally relate to what you mean about like you, you created a sense of value based on how much can I take, take and just keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did you, how did you for yourself, maybe you've had some time to think about it. I think you have. How did you get out of that cycle? When I walked away I knew that I could no longer live like this. Mm -hmm. I couldn't live not feeling worthy, even though I have given everything that I could possibly give. 
to change people's lives and to make people's lives better, I was broken. I was broken. I had gone through some personal things years earlier that I stuffed in a box and just kept going because I had to. Like I had some real trauma, personal life stuff going on and my family needed me to work and I had to work and I had to be the best that I could be. And so I just kept going. And I needed a moment, like I'm a fixer, I'm a problem solver, I'm a pattern finder. So I started looking back at my career and there's a pattern and I didn't like the pattern. And that pattern was me. It was me. I could sit here and say lots of things. I could tell you lots of examples that makes me look like a victim, but I could have left at any given time, but I didn't. I chose to stay. And I didn't like that pattern for one. And I, I finally said, Erin, you have value. You've got to, you've got to figure it out. Right. So I, my first step was this podcast. Like, I'm just going to, I love to talk to people. So I'm just Mm going to start a podcast. Well, I don't know anything about social media. I don't know anything about how to record a podcast. So I found a coach who would help me learn details. Yeah. I didn't realize what I was signing in for, for this six month course. Like I had no idea that my life is going to dramatically change. Yeah. I kept a lot of hurt inside, a lot of things inside, because I always felt like I was the one that was perceiving things a certain way. I always discounted my feelings. I always discounted, well, you did that wrong. So that's what you deserve, that kind of thing. So When I surrounded myself with people who were trying to achieve the same thing that I was, and I heard them talk about their shortcomings, how they couldn't get this, how they couldn't get that. And then I heard the coach coach them on how to overcome that. I I was like, uncomfortable. Yeah. And because this was a six month course, I became comfortable and I learned that my thoughts, I can control them. Yeah. And just because I think it doesn't matter. And I learned what value and worth was. It's still an, it's still an everyday process for me, right? I, you don't get to change the way that you thought about yourself your entire life in six months to a year. But when you identify the triggers the root cause of those triggers and create sentences to overcome them. Yeah. You grow. And although I've got a long way to go where I want to be, I am the strongest and most confident version of myself than I ever have been to where we even talking about this conversation mm-hmm. for, for whoever to hear is so important to me because I told people that I would never talk about this. And here yeah. I am talking about Here you it. are. It's like, yeah. well, let's just put it on the internet. That'll be yes, let's just put it out for the world to hear, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I'm, the, I'm a cause of a lot of things because of the way that I thought about them. Right. They are real. They did happen. And there are things, situations that have happened to me that no one should ever be treated the way that I was treated. But I'm not a victim. 
I'm a big doer. I can, you can change your thought process behind everything yeah. and you can choose to leave a situation that doesn't serve you. I'm glad you are in another place and that you're set on a, on a course for continued self-rehabilitation and growth and movement. And then I think that's another parallel in your journey that I resonate with because it mirrors my own intention is that with Level Up um, and, and everything that I do, again, it's not from a place of mastery. It's recording your learning journey as you go. Like mm -hmm. at the top of this episode, we both took a stab at defining psychological safety. And like, we're probably going to listen back to it, like, oh man, we rambled through that and that was a little messy. But that's kind of the point, right? If we record this conversation two years from now, we're probably going to have a little crisper definition of it. But I, I applaud where you are with the fact that processing it out loud, thinking through it out loud, changing your mindset as you go and inviting other people to it. I mean, what better way to learn than to teach, right? That's right. I think that's something that you and I share as well is we're teaching this stuff, but in the less of like, I've been to the promised land, but more of I'm headed there too. Like, let's, let's go there together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wish someone would have done that for me. And that's what I want to do for other people. We yeah. need, we need executive directors in our, in our industry. Like we need people need a lot and we don't want to run them off. We want to be able to support them in a healthy way. Yeah, And I don't want people to feel alone in the way that I felt. And if our industry is not set up to support each layer of leadership in a way that will uplift and enhance leadership skills, then it's our responsibility as leaders to find help outside yeah. of that. And I don't think I would have been comfortable in doing that until now. Mm -hmm. There is so much. LinkedIn opened up my eyes to yeah. what I wish I knew before because I think it would have helped. Yeah. I think reading your content would have helped me like, oh, somebody else thinks like me. Oh, yeah. I know how that, I know how that is. And it would have given me a lot of confidence that I wish that I was able to have while in the yeah. community. I. 100% agree with you. I think that's part of my part of my commitment to LinkedIn. And and the thing is I I don't do all the traditional things that probably somebody who is going after social media influencer status would do. Like my posts are way long. I I have no idea what I'm doing with hashtags and all of that. But the truth like the truth is for me it's a discipline. It's an exercise of discipline and consistency that I'm thinking out loud as I go and the engagement that I get, the way that I approach that is the comments and the reactions, everything. It is just constant market validation of these things that we're talking about, of what things really matter to us. And so when I write a post about something that I'm deeply feeling or the story of something that we've done or, 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 or a concept that I, I really think would be a great discussion, the comments and the reactions and the conversations I have with people afterwards, it lets me know. It gives me a real pulse check on the industry and it gives me the courage to do things like this podcast, to try events like the Think Tank. There's no permission being granted to any of us to do these things. It's just like, 
for, for the for the incumbent powers that be that have run traditional senior housing, senior living through this kind of shame and carrots and stick model, they've got to be really worried about what's coming up, right? Because there are people breaking away from that. There are people saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. And it must suck for some of those people to see you and me and others who are like, okay, then I'm just going to try to stand on my own. Yeah. I mean, I started out as like saying like, this is just going to be a love story to me. I'm just going to show up consistently for me like that was it right and then it became more than that gradually and i know the gig economy which is kind of what we're talking about so to speak that was kind of a new concept and i've kind of been looking at that and studying that and i realized i kind of fit into the gig economy yeah and the way that i see the gig economy from my lens today is the I am of value economy. Oh, yeah. I don't want to be in a setting that doesn't value me. So therefore, I'm going to try many settings. Mm-hmm. And when I find the setting that's going to value me, I'll ask to stay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really great way of articulating that the gig economy in a lot of ways is a rejection of the status quo of senior living, right? That totally resonates with me. And there are organizations that are not only capitalizing on that, but leading the charge. Five years from now, I think our industry will be mostly gig economy and people better start shifting gears. Yeah, I think, yes. Why would you not want to support from somebody who only wants success from you? Mm-hmm. who's not threatened by your success, who who doesn't want to keep you small, who wants it to grow you. Mm-hmm. I think one of the big key lessons that I learned is like you are in survival mode or you're in growth mode and you can't be in both at the same mm-hmm. time. And when I look back at my career, I my life didn't allow me to ever become a road warrior a regional person Mm. like that was not going to be my path due to my family and I was not giving a growth path yeah I was not given I was not poured into in a way that could have added value to anyone let alone Mm. myself and I was at a conference where a vice president of HR made some kind of comment about some of you will become regional associates and some of you will always remain. Well, well, your career will always be an executive director and each one is honorable. And I felt like that was like this huge gut punch because a performer, a pleaser, a type A personality that I am, I needed to know that there was something more that I could be, that I could give, that I could aspire to be, right? But I wasn't given that opportunity. And so growth mode was never a mode that I was comfortable in. It was always survival mode, always survival mode, which is not safe for anyone. And so we as leaders who may always be an executive director inside of a community, which is noble and honorable and one of the best experiences of my life, we deserve growth too. And okay. you can become a better leader inside of a community 
when you invest in yourself. And if you're not comfortable asking for that from your company, or they're not giving you that opportunity, there are options for you. Mm-hmm. Real options that will pour into you and to make the stress levels a lot easier to manage so you can stay because we need leaders. Don't have to hustle for your worthiness. And this is what you can do to actually be in the state of preparing, working proactively instead of repairing, which is working reactively. These are the things that you can do. And typical leadership training outside of the industry isn't going to teach you those things because senior living is so nuanced. Yeah, I wonder if we can give some practical tips and advice of how to create psychological safety. So I think you and I have gone deep into what it feels like to not have psychological safety Mm -hmm. and maybe the why behind some of that. You and I talked about the responsibility that organizations have for psychological safety. So let's move into that space of how do we help create the new. So I wanted to see if we can kind of come up with some advice. I, I wrote down a few things that you said and and then and, and I kind of drew arrows to these might be signs or signals that you have psychological safety in your workplace. And so I'm just going to start with a few things that you said. Growth mode. You said you're either in survival mode or growth mode. You can't be in both at the same time. Totally believe that. So if there are signs of growth mindset, that there's true coaching development, not performance evaluation by itself, but that if there is a pattern of growth-oriented conversations that are happening in your organization, that's probably a signal that there's psychological safety, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. And then one thing I wrote was that if you have a lot of questions that are being asked that aren't about your job performance, I I would say, and they're more about your perspective, your ideas, right? So our identity can't be our performance. Right. Right. Earlier, you were talking about how you didn't feel a sense of worth if you didn't have the, the pats on the back or the accolades or the encouragement, even though you hit all of your metrics. So if I'm not gonna have praise and encouragement, even when I hit your performance numbers, what is it going to take to get that, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I started picturing, I had this image of like a, a fruit tree that if all you're based on is your fruit production, then in the spring or fall or whenever you're, you're producing fruit, great, you're a great tree. But what about those seasons when it naturally isn't going to happen that fruit is going to be produced? Do you suddenly have no value until you're producing fruit again? Right. And it feels a lot like that in senior living, that we, we go through these seasons as people, as individuals. We can't just be, quote unquote, top performers all the time. What does that even mean? But in those natural ebbs and flows of, of people's performance, mental health, well-being, all of those things, how do we help people through those times? So what other signals would you say that people can look out for? either in themselves as a leader, or if you are in a place that you're not sure, is it psychologically safe or not? What other signals would you say provide psychological safety? When you have a one-on-one meeting with Mm -hmm. a regional support team or somebody, and 
they want they ask you questions about you or they they ask you what your goals are if they can they ask you like what success is to you what can i do to help you those are bridge making comments right they they will kind of lower those defenses i i know now that when that when that defensive armor starts coming up you should take that as a sign that you feel uncomfortable mm, and then you need yeah. to like dive into what makes you feel uncomfortable and so if you feel that defensive armor coming down then you understand you're feeling safe at the moment yeah and so lean into that and then watch actions it's not about what you say it's about what you do and if it's what you say is what you do then there is this feeling of okay i'm in a i'm in a place that that's valuing me right i'm in a place that i feel safe that i can give everything i have and i'm in a, in a safe place one of the things that i had when i had really great regional directors there's there's two people that that come in mind i would get notes this one regional director would send me thank you notes and he always questioned my thought process and i thought he was crazy mm -hmm. turns out he was right and i was the one that needed the help but he would always write me these notes and even though i would roll my eyes at the time it still meant something to me and when i didn't have that i felt the void of that but whenever I had a regional director that just allowed me to call her and get the emotional reaction out, like I could just call her and I would say her full name and she knew what I needed and she was quiet and she let me go. Mm. And then I'd say at the end, I'll call you back and let you how it went. Yeah. And then I would, those moments made me feel safe in the unsafe times. Yeah. Mm -hmm a very localized moment where they allow you to be the real you. So you can in turn, turn around and go be the version of you that that situation requires you to be. Yeah. So when you have those things, that's really important. Those, those, those put band-aids on bigger issues, yeah. but allow you to feel, but it, if you feel red flags, this is one thing I will say. If you feel red flags come up, do not discount them. This is in every phase of life. Yeah. Don't discount them and constantly tell yourself you're wrong. Yeah. Because what you say to yourself really matters. Yeah. Lean into it and investigate a little further. Because the more we tell ourselves, power through it, nothing's wrong, it's just you the more we set ourselves up for unsafe environments. Yeah. But if you're a regional director, write somebody a note, send them a gift, do something, let compliment on something that is who they are as a person and not necessarily right. their outcome. Those things are so important. Mm -hmm. You never know what seed you plant. I can tell you things that people said about me years ago that I am just now seeing. Oh, okay. Now I get it. That I didn't get back then. Then now I understand. Somebody always called me a good egg. And I've always held on to that 
And now it just means so much more because I am a good egg. Yeah. I just didn't know it at the time, you know? It's a real Southern saying, uh, you're a good egg. I know <laughs> I'm a good mean. egg. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a kind of a, a full circle moment with one of the things that you said. As leaders, one of the practical things that you can do is compliment someone's character, not their outcome. And I think that's yeah. a really um, amazing practice to build. Uh, because if you think about it, if if we always praise people's outcomes, and even if that was a job performance expectation, if you say, hey, Aaron, great job on reaching 100% occupancy, and that is the only compliment I ever give you, your value is attached to that number, right? The fruit on that tree. So if you're complimenting Aaron, I love the way that you handle that conversation with your direct report. You're really become very skilled at conflict resolution. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel I'm real good. I feel pretty good about that. Right. I think these are, these are really good signs. And that full circle moment is, I think when we met and had our first conversation, you, you still have a little bit of that. Like you introduced yourself by, Oh, I, I, I'm Aaron. And I wasn't right off the bat, but you kind of gave me your stats. Right. Yeah. Like it was like, Oh yeah, I was at, I was at this community. We got to a hundred percent. And yeah. I was like, well, cool. Tell me about you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I've learned and I still, that gets me in the door. Right. I get it. But at this workshop that I did, I I didn't even really go into that. And I said, yeah, I've run a lot of communities that got to a hundred percent very quickly. I am, I am not those outcomes. Although I have held on to those. Look what I did. Look what I, my team, right? I didn't do that, but look what we did in just wanting a morsel of something. Yeah. So, yeah. It is, it is still, though, it's the, it's the language that people gave us and we're still, and that's the power of this programming that happens is like, we still associate in some part our own worth based on our outcomes yeah. because we tell people about that. And so it is something that as a leader within Bella Groves, it's something that I'm very, very conscientious of is that I, I didn't articulate it this way. Well, now complimenting the character, not the outcome, mm-hmm. uh, but we do not celebrate occupancy. It's something that a lot of my peers, especially in the sales disciplines and senior living disagree with. That's okay. But the more that I have not celebrated occupancy and the more that I actually think about it and talk about it. I think that it is more harm than it is good because we are rooting the, I mean, think about what senior living corporate office doesn't currently celebrate hundred percent occupancy. I bet every single one of them does, right? Oh, they send yeah. roses and flowers and photos. You're going yeah. on LinkedIn. It's like, great. Our community got recognized last year. And the only time we did was when we hit hundred percent occupancy. We are perpetuating this pattern of like, you are your results. But if you think about like the stuff that we share about Bella Groves, the things that I write about on LinkedIn, like do anything about our company's performance? No. no. But you probably have a feeling about what we value. Mm-hmm. Right? Most of my managers at Bella Groves follow me on LinkedIn. How much do you think they're going to let me get away with of like just being fake on there and talking okay. about things that I don't actually do at work. Right. Yeah. It, no, it would, you're going to lose respect very quick. 
immediately, right? So it is, for me, it is also this discipline of I'm going to write about what I do and I'm going to do what I write about. And it is this discipline of like, well, my team is going to hold me accountable to that. If we complemented people's character, the caregiving I marked built from 2012 to 2022 in a lot of trauma drama in my personal life, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there's a big correlation to understanding what our caregivers or anybody who could be going through really hard times in their personal life and then mm -hmm. coming to work and having to work inside senior living where if you're a caregiver, you're disrespected, you're a woman caregiver, you could be put in weird situations. There's lots of different things that what if we offered an environment for them to come in and feel safe, feel a part of a team and where we are the place that they fill their cup, which is what I tried to do. And it wasn't always perfect and I needed more associates just like everybody else does. But the buy-in that I had with the team that I had was they knew their worth to me. We didn't always agree. It wasn't always a sunshiny day, but they knew their worth because I wanted to give them what I so desperately wanted. Mm -hmm. Was yeah. that feeling of value and worth. And when you walk in this door, I don't care what color your skin is, what the world is telling you. You are important to me and your role is almost more important than mine because yeah. if you don't come to work, somebody's directly affected in yeah. a negative way, you know? And if we could all strive to be that way, I think we could turn the tide. But is the funnel broken? Can we expect, can the executive director expect their cup to be filled from a regional director whose cup isn't being filled and they're traveling the world and setting all the fires, where's the cup getting filled from? So I think that's where people like you and I and others can fill that cup. And I think LinkedIn has certainly been such a cup filler for me in yeah. confidence that we, we want to do that for people. Yeah. So. Well, we can find other members of our tribe, right? Yeah. And yes. if we keep turning that tide, and keep turning that tide, it'll roll. It'll roll tide, right? <laughs> yes. Dad joke. Yes. <laughs> I have to also connect something that you said about the more that we acknowledge. And, and so like, as we're wrapping up, we're talking about practical tips. What can you do? Not just listen to Aaron and James's stories, but what can you do to build these habits? Complimenting character, asking more questions and you provide input, right? So one of the posts that I made, which was a very like reminder to self post, was I recognized one day that I had one interaction with this caregiver. That was the one time I saw her that day. And it was constructive criticism. Yeah. It was like, hey, by the way, just a little FYI, I love that you're doing this, but maybe think about doing it this way. And that was it. I didn't think much of it. I just left. But later, as I was just kind of downloading from the day, I was like, that was my one interaction with her. And I don't feel I'm important, but to her... The owner of the company just walked by yeah. and that was the one thing that he talked about, right? And it's like, if you're only, if you're limited on time and you only have one thing that you can do, make it a compliment, right? And make it yeah. a compliment about that person's character. And, and the, and the other thing that you were saying that made, that just really resonated with me is that the more that I am consciously working on psychological safety, the more that I'm learning about what are the ways that I create psychological safety or take psychological safety away, because that's also something we can do is to just remove the harmful elements. 
But the better that I feel like I'm getting at it, the more vulnerability people are expressing. I, mm-hmm. people within my own organization at Bella Groves, I've heard people tell me about not just death, but somebody in my family was murdered. People talking about the loss of a pregnancy, homelessness, like the, like real deep things that people are like going through. And like, had they not told me that, and I was just like talking to them about, Hey, the temperature log on the fridge just needs to be updated. And in their mind, in their heart, in their soul, they're thinking about, I'm going to get kicked out of my apartment in a few weeks. If I, if I don't figure out the solution, it just, it has ratcheted up my feeling of responsibility that the more people express their vulnerability, the more I feel like the, I can't solve those problems for them. But at the very least, I can create a place, like you said, where people come to Bella Groves to fill their cup, right? Yeah. I'm safe here. I can take a break from my, my world and I'm respected, I'm valued, I contribute. And hopefully they're also learning life skills and other things that can, we, we can't help avoid tragedy for people, but uh, we can give people the skills, the emotional intelligence skills, the relationships that uh, when they need a helping hand, they've got people to reach out to. Yes, that's the goal. I mean, I've had those same conversations. I've been one of those people mm-hmm. in one of those topics. And it's and it's one of the added layers that causes a lot of stress for our jobs. Mm-hmm. But we're in the business to change lives. Right. And our caregivers are alive. They're alive. And our sure sales and marketing director who could be going through one of those things or any one of our directors, if we can add value to them in that time, we've got loyalty built in. Yeah. You're in. Yeah. That, that phrase around hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. Maybe the opposite of that is helped people help people. Right? And that's our responsibility. If we help our people, yeah. they will help others. Right? And I do think that there's a there's a 2.0 version of senior living that's happening now that that the, we are in part helping to create. And whether that part gig economy, there will never be a situation where we are completely dependent on on gig economy. We will always depend on people who who choose a career with our organizations. Mm-hmm. And these small it, it may feel like small tips uh, that we've provided here, but what we're trying to do is spark a conversation, is to, is to begin thinking a certain way. And maybe psychological safety wasn't on people's maps of like, I want to develop these abilities. But who knows? Maybe as a result of this conversation <laughs> we've had, maybe it'll help get them started. Yep. Yep. Invest in yourself. You never, goes, you never go wrong with that. Yep. You deserve it and you're worth it and you'll be better because of it. Yeah. Boy, I'm really looking forward to meeting you in a couple of months at the Think Tank. We've gone from didn't know each other really to we have like these deep emotional conversations. We're a podcast guests and and then we'll work together at the Think Tank. So yeah, thank God for LinkedIn. That's right. Changed <laughs> my life. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Level Up Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast and its YouTube channel. Better yet, share it with someone who is on their own leadership development journey.
I hope you'll be back for the next episode of Level Up. But until then, I hope that you are leading well and remember that you are living your legacy today. So make it a good one.